I want you to go through the whole Quran with me. Join me at bayna.tv. قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ تَعَالَوْا إِلَىٰ كَلِمَةٍ سَوَاءٍ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمْ أَلَّا نَعْبُدَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَلَا نُشْرِكَ بِهِ شَيْئًا وَلَا يَتَّخِذَ بَعْضُنَا بَعْضًا أَرْبَابًا مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ فَإِنْ تَوَلَّوْا فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا فَقُولُوا اشْهَدُوا بِأَنَّا مُسْلِمُونَ رَبِّ اشْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسِّرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَاحْلُلْ عُقْدَةً مِّن لِّسَانِي يَفْقَهُوا قَوْلِي فَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ وَالصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ أَمَّا بَعْدُ Everyone once again السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته uh, My intention today is to try to cover ayah 62 and some lessons from 64 and 62 uh, Allah Azza wa Jal, after that challenge that we talked about, the mubahala, ثُمَّ نَبْتَهِلْ فَنَجْعَلْ لَعْنَةَ اللَّهِ عَلَى الْكَاذِبِينَ Allah now says, إِنَّ هَذَا لَهُوَ الْقَصَصُ الْحَقِّ This, in fact, no doubt about it, is the actual account, the actual narrative. Um, the word, you know, information or what's been said can be tr- communicated with the word naba, which means news. This is the actual event. This is the actual news. Or al-hadith al-haq, the true speech. Or al-qawl al-haq, the true word. But Allah chose deliberately to use the word Al-Qasas here. Al-Qasas is commonly translated as this is the actual story. This is the true story. Al-Qasas, Al-Haq. But uh, the word Qasas actually uh, for the word story uh, is actually from the verb Qassa which means to follow step by step. In other words, when, you know, when someone tells a story, they don't just tell you what happened at the end. They'll tell you the first thing, then the second thing, then the second thing because they want to build anticipation and build the account of the story or the, the, the listener won't understand the entire story if the steps are not shown one by one by one. And the listener also follows along and you know like a terrible example but if you're into really into watching movies or watching a TV show or something then if you're going to go to the fridge and get something for yourself you're going to pause it because you don't want to miss a step. No, whoa, 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 what did they say? What did they say? What did they say? I didn't hear that. Wait, I got a phone call and you pause it because you don't want to miss a single qussa like a single step. In it, right? This is the word used for when uh, Musa's sister was told to follow Musa when he was, his basket was, uh, you know, floating along the river. Qusihi, follow him step by step. So the same origin was used. So the word here is the story as it's told step by step. That's the implication of the word story here. Which is interesting because we weren't told all the steps. Allah is basically saying these are the only steps you need to be concerned with. It's also reinforcing someone, something we learned before, al-dhikrul hakim. The only dhikr that's being done here is the one that has hikmah in it. These are the only steps you need. Which is why not only is al-dhikrul hakim a unique expression of the Qur'an, not found elsewhere, al-qasasul haq is also a unique expression of the Qur'an, not found elsewhere. And so it's actually reinforcing that this story, even though you would be intrigued about much more details, this is the part that you must focus on and pay attention to and stick with. This is a principle of Qur'an studies, if you will, a literary principle and a guiding principle that Allah will deliberately not just tell us a lot of things, but He'll deliberately not tell us a lot of things. And unfortunately, our minds are focused most of the time on what He did not tell us, instead of what He actually did tell us. So, like the, in, in the discussion on the meanings of an ayah, we're going to be focused on, on the information that's not there, instead of the information that is there, the words that are there, the, 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 the event that is there. In any, in any case, Allah now gets to the thesis of the story. Why is the story even being told? What's the purpose of telling the account of Isa Here's what it is. وَمَا مِنْ إِلَٰهٍ إِلَّا اللَّهِ 
There is absolutely no one to worship or obey or show adoration to in any way, shape, or form except for Allah. وَمَا مِنْ إِلَهٍ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Which is different from لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ has actually occurred a number of times in the surah already. لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ From the very beginning. اللَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوَ الْحَيُّ الْقَيُّومُ It's not اللَّهُ مَا مِنْ إِلَهٍ إِلَّا هُوَ الْحَيُّ الْقَيُّومُ It's لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوَ الْحَيُّ الْقَيُّومُ But here you find وَمَا مِنْ إِلَهٍ إِلَّا اللَّهِ It's different. Now how is this different? مَا مِنْ إِلَهِ is actually for رفض, for refutation. When you speak to someone who doesn't know any better, you say لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ When you speak to someone who makes a false claim about Allah and attributes other gods to uh, you know, uh, alongside Allah, then you correct them by saying, "Ma min ilahin illallah." They actually believe in Allah, and these are the Arab Christians too, Najran, which means they use the word Allah for God too. And the phrase "No one should be worshipped except God" is something they accept. This kind of phrasing you would expect from an idol worshipper, like you tell them, "Ma min ilahin illallah." There's no god to worship except Allah. They're being told, despite your claim that you believe in one God, that claim that you believe in one God is false. And you need to come to the actual realization of what it means to believe in one God. Ma min ilahin illallah. But then there is, there's more. That could have been just the point that don't do shirk and just believe in tawheed. But the ayah doesn't end there. Wa inna Allah al-azizul hakim. And certainly Allah, in fact, truly He is the ultimate authority, the wise. Now the wise also hakim comes not just from hikmah but also from hukum, meaning the only one who can govern. The problem is that they removed from Allah the concept of His authority and his governance. Because as you believe Jesus is your savior, you no longer need to abide by God's authority and his laws. Those are, no, those are null and void. And he no longer gives you any hukum. Because Jesus got in the way of that, so his rules and his verdicts don't apply. This is even in contrast to what Jesus himself reportedly said in the Bible, do not think I have come to change the law. He said that himself. Do not think I have come to change the law. And interest, interestingly, post Paul, the law is gone. It's removed entirely. And this notion that the law doesn't apply anymore is not just something that happened in the Christian faith. This is not, understand something, this is not only a criticism of the Christian faith. There are some universals that we have to learn here. In virtually any religion in which the teachings that originally were the scripture from Allah, revelation from Allah, like we have Quran, they had Torah, they had Injil, right? When those teachings are lost, or those teachings are no longer being held on to, people are not connected with the word of Allah anymore, then creative and new interpretations of religion start spawning. And different kinds of outlets that are also going to call themselves Islam will come out. Now, me as a policy, I don't speak about other factions of Muslims. Like I know there are lots of divisions among Muslims, and I'm very familiar with those labels too. And I've studied quite a few of those labels. But you'll find as a matter of policy when I'm giving lectures on the Qur'an to give you a case study of something, I will not actually refer to a particular group or name them by name. But without naming names, I'll tell you a case study. Okay, without naming any names. And those who get paranoid is talking about us, let yourselves be paranoid. That's okay. That much is fine by me. There are actually factions of the, or divisions within the Muslim Ummah, people who call themselves Muslim, who believe in prophets after the Prophet Muhammad There are people like that. And they even believe that, the, that it was passed down as a hereditary thing. And so the grandfather received revelation, the grandson received revelation, and the, the great-grandson who's still alive now hanging out also received revelation. When he goes to places that they consider themselves, calling themselves Muslims still, will go to different places. And when they go there, 
the, the followers of that Islam will actually do sajda to them. They'll actually bow down to them. But that's not the part I want to highlight. The part I want to highlight is some of these preachers would go to places, you know, in, in, you know, what happened in India, for example, they'd go to some places and preach their version of Islam and the, to the Hindus. And the Hindus would say, well, five prayers and dietary restrictions and all these rules, I don't, I don't think we can handle it. And their pseudo-prophet would actually say, well, you know, for you, all of it's gone. It doesn't, so long as you have God in your heart, Allah in your heart, you're good enough. Basically, almost identical to what Christians did with the law of Musa, you will actually find case studies of exactly that phenomenon within the Muslim world. Within the Muslim world. Same exact thing. The law is gone for all practical purposes, so long as you believe in the Prophet so long as you believe in Allah, and they'll add some other companions and some things too, and so long as you believe that the Prophet will intercede on your behalf on Judgment Day, you've got free license. You're good. That's good enough for you. Right? So this is not just something that's a criticism of the Christian people. Just like I reiterate over and over again when we talk about Jewish history in Surah Al-Baqarah, that those criticisms of the Jews are actually also social commentary on what's going to happen with the Muslims. The same way, the theological problem of what happened with Christianity, behind it is a kind of psychology that will repeat itself. And it'll find its way even in contemporary Muslim life. It'll make its way here too, inside the Ummah also. So in any case, وَمَامِنْ إِلَهِنْ إِلَّا No one is to be worshipped except Allah. And if you do put someone in between Allah and yourself, like they did with Jesus, what's going to happen? The two immediate practical implications of Allah being the only one to be worshipped will disappear. What are, the, what, are, what are those implications? That Allah is Al-Aziz and Allah is Al-Hakim. And Allah is the authority because Allah's authority is now taken away because somebody got in the way of that. The other meaning of Hakim is wise. And that also is important to note. Wisdom comes from Allah. And the only way we have access to Allah's wisdom is by His own words. When you put others in between, then by necessity they will push you away from the word of Allah. That's the only way they can maintain their position, is by pushing you away from the word of Allah. I was speaking to a young man in some part of the Muslim world, that shall not be named, and uh, his father is very concerned that he's starting to learn the Qur'an. His father is very, very concerned that he's starting to learn the Qur'an. He comes from a family where they believe in certain saints within the Muslim world, uh, within their tradition. And those saints are, you're actually supposed to make dua to them. You're supposed to even visit their grave sites. It's even some practices of sajda to them. And, uh, you know, they have all these the rituals that have been going on in their family for a long time. Now this young man is studying the Qur'an. And as a result of his study of the Qur'an, he's no longer comfortable with so much of that because... He can sense that you're placing someone other than Allah between ourselves and Allah. And in the family, there are also lots of practices that are directly against Allah's verdicts in the Qur'an, His hukum in the Qur'an. And his father gets very upset with him because he's asking to go to the Friday prayer or he's asking to, you know, to, to do things. That, you know, he's like, I, I can't even grow a beard and I can't do this or that. And, he's, and I told him, just easy on the beard. Let's, we have other things to deal with right now. Okay, so we got, we got other issues that we need to work through. But the point is that this idea that when you remove Qur'an from the equation, then those other entities and the saintly figures and that entire mythology, that can become a very powerful, strong thing. And they can take the place of Allah's authority because the wisdom of Allah's words is absent from your religious identity. It's just not there. 
And so for so many, it's so scary that for so many people in the Muslim world, where we revere the Qur'an, we respect the Qur'an, we put it in high shelves, we love its recitation, you know, uh, to, to hear its recitation, the vast majority of us actually don't know what it says, even though we have access to translation. I, I'm a big critic even of translations, but we don't even know what the translation says. Forget the Arabic, we don't even know what the translation says. And even if we do in such shallow ways, and then on top of that, when we do know it, we know the few quotes from here and there that will serve our particular ideology. Not actually studying the book for its own case, for its own sake, only studying it to reinforce my already entrenched position. Right? And this is, instead of Allah's book being the basis for which you see the truth, you actually have already decided what the truth is, and you're now extracting validation for your truth from Allah's words. And this is the opposite of لِتَكُونَ كَلِمَةُ اللَّهِ هِيَ الْعُلِيَةِ That the word of Allah should be in the supreme place. It's not in the supreme place. In so many who consider themselves religious, it's actually in a very secondary, tertiary place when you look at it in reality. So this, this comment of Allah, this is the actual account. No one is to be worshipped except Allah. And Allah in fact is Al-Aziz, Al-Hakim, the ultimate authority, the source of all wisdom, the ultimately wise, and the only one to give verdicts is very pertinent to what they have believed all this time, what's, what they've done to their religion. فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا And if, all of, if they turn away, تَوَلَّوْا is a past tense, um, like تَوَاصَوْ, it's ناقص, so it's, it doesn't end with u, it ends with أَوْ, تَوَلَّوْا, but it can also be the lighter form of the mudari' تَتَوَلَّوْ. So there are two possible translations here. One translation is, if, they turned, if they've still turned away, that's one meaning. Another meaning is, if all of you still turn away, if all of you turn away. So there's two meanings. If they've turned away or if all of you turn away. The present tense form. Now if you look at the second meaning, if all of you turn away, then actually it's almost as though Allah immediately switches and recognizes the presence of the Christian audience who were being spoken of in the third person and now all of a sudden they're being addressed very directly. And by, by extension... Obviously, every time you say all of you in the Qur'an, we are the audience too. The Muslims are the audience too. And it is as though Allah points the finger at us and says, By the way, if you do this, centuries after your Prophet is gone, like they did this centuries after Isa was gone, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلِيمٌ بِالْمُفْسِدِينَ Allah is fully aware of those who cause corruption. Allah is fully aware of those who cause corruption. Like this statement is actually a, like a, something that echoes throughout history and echoes into even future generations. So it wasn't just talking to them, it has this powerful, like, uh, you know, magnificent tone. فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلِيمٌ بِالْمُفْسِدِينَ Interesting also that Allah didn't say فَاسِدِينَ He said مُفْسِدِينَ It's very strategic. فَاسِد is someone who's corrupt. مُفْسِد is the متعدي form, which means someone who causes corruption. Someone who creates corruption. Someone who corrupts others. Not only are you corrupt, you're corrupting others. Now, how is that? You see, the Muslims or the people of scripture, the people who have revelation, they're the ones who are ambassadors of Allah's message. They're the ones who represent Allah's message. When they start misrepresenting Allah's message, then there is no source of truth left. So when those who are charged with the responsibility to carry Allah's message and Allah's truth to humanity, when they turn their backs and they mix and pollute the original teachings of the religion, not only are they corrupt, they are actually now in the name of teaching the truth, teaching falsehood. So they are causes of corruption for others. Even if they don't preach to anybody else, just the way that they act, just in the way that they carry themselves, just in the way that they believe, you see, 
I'm I've put a mic on right now. There's a camera running. This is going to go on the internet. I am spreading something. I'm trying to spread something. People are listening in different parts of the world and I'm trying to proliferate. But there's a Muslim who or or even a Christian who is not spreading anything. They're just living their life. They're just living their life. Let me tell you, just the fact that you identify yourself as a person of faith actually means you represent faith. You represent what it means to believe in God. <coughs> And your behavior, the way you carry yourself, the way you live, what you believe, whether you preach to anybody or not, you, even in silence, are sending a message to people around you. You, you represent something. You represent Islam. You know? And so, bil-mufsideen is you could just carry these false ideas in you, and that leads you to live a certain way. You know, when guys see you, other guys see you on the college campus, or they see you at work, and they see how you carry yourself, you actually represent what Islam means. This guy, this person, this man, this woman has Islam and this is how they behave. This is what Islam must have taught them. This is what faith does to them. This is how they become. You know? So, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلِيمٌ بِالْمُفْسِدِينَ اللَّهُمَّ لَا تَجْعَلْنَا مِنَ الْمُفْسِدِينَ قُلْ Declare, the Prophet is told, Say, Ya Ahl Al-Kitab, People of the Book. I remind you of what I said before. The phrase Ahlul Kitab I believe in these ayat is referring to those who are knowledgeable in the scripture, who are qualified in the scripture, who are considered by others qualified in the scripture. Ahl, someone qualified in something. Someone really truly associated with something. So though it's not, say, Christians, ya Nasara, because those words are found in the Qur'an. Yahudi and Nasrani are found in the Qur'an. This is not, قُلْ ya Nasara. It's not, قُلْ ya Yahud. It's, قُلْ ya Kitab. So the, the people of knowledge of the book, and here it's referring to the Christian missionaries, may even include the rabbis that are implicitly listening. Both of them. Ta'alaw ila kalimatin. Come to a word. Raise yourselves up. Ta'alaw, I talked about that last time. Raise yourselves up to a word. Sawa'im baynana wa baynakum. A word that is the same, it's even, between ourselves and you. Come to common ground. Come to common ground. In other words, let's not talk about where we disagree. Let's talk about what we agree on. We've now discussed what we disagree on. What, what, do, we, what do we disagree on? Jesus. Mary. This is what we disagree on. But now that you, you've been stumped on this and you have no response and you weren't even willing to challenge your own position and stand on it and say, if I am wrong, may Allah curse me. You were not willing to do that. Let's not take the harsh, the tough road. Let's take the soft road. And what's that soft road? Even to the preachers. And that is, تَعَالَوْا إِلَىٰ كَلِمَةٍ سَوَاءٍ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمْ Let's come to a common word. Let's come to some things that we both can agree on. That, that have been the same. That you would, wouldn't possibly, you would have no reason to disagree with. What are those things? أَلَّا نَعْبُدَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ That we will not worship anyone except Allah. Now, we, have, we will not be able to appreciate these ayat if we don't understand something more comprehensive about worship. When you hear the word worship, certain pictures come in your mind. Prayer, Salah, Hajj, Sajda. Like these are acts of worship. And of course making dua only to Allah. So when the ayah says, we will not worship anyone other than Allah, you can see immediately that it's saying, don't worship Jesus, only worship Allah. But I want you to expand the scope of the term ibadah. Beyond worship. Worship for you and me is an act that we do at a certain time. We just prayed. We engaged in an act of worship. But when you leave the masjid and you get in your car and you're driving away, you would not normally think that you're at that moment engaged in an act of worship. But you are still a slave. You're still engaged in Allah's 
slavery. Slavery is an identity. Worship are some acts that take place within that identity. Right? But slavery is actually an identity. When you're sleeping, you're not worshiping. But when you're sleeping, you're still a you're still a slave. When you're eating food, you're not worshiping, but you're still a slave. So the idea here is slavery extends to all things I do in my life. It's an overarching sense of identity. This is what I live my life as. And a free person lives a life differently from a slave. right? A free person has in mind, what am I going to do? What do I want? Where do I go? What are my choices? My, 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 my. What is the slave thinking constantly? What does the master want? What is my master's priorities for me? Am I in line with what my master accepts? And even if the slave, and the slaves don't, slaves have freedom too, but they have freedom within a fence. Right? They, they can't cross a fence. Like if the master says, don't leave town, then they can go anywhere in town, but they can't leave town, because the master said. Okay? Or master says, come, come back by this time, they're going to come back by that time. There are time limits on them. There are space limits on them. There are behavior limits on them. Master says, don't go this way, don't go this way then. In other words, you cannot actually accept slavery without accepting authority. When it says, we shall not worship, when the translation says, we shall not worship anyone other than Allah, then the problem is, if you limit that discussion to we're only going to pray to God and not pray to Jesus, that's only painting part of the picture of ibadah. It's actually saying we're not going to accept the mastery, the ultimate final authority of anyone other than Allah. Let's come to terms with that. Let's, let's understand that worship is simply a reminder that we're slaves. Let me say that again. Worship is only a reminder that we are slaves. If worship is not reinforcing your slavery, then you're missing the point of worship. Because that's the entire point is what happens between the prayers. The, the prayer is supposed to help you with what's going to happen between the prayers. Am I going to act as a slave between the prayers? Now what the problem with the Christians was, they reduced their relationship with God to just worship. And in everything else, they do whatever they want. You understand? Give Sunday to God, and then the rest is mine. You understand? And Allah is telling them, come back to common terms that originally Allah didn't just want worship from us, He wanted slavery from us. Allah na'buda illallah. Then He adds, wala nushrika bihi shay'an. And we will not associate, as a result of that slavery, we will not associate anything with Him. Now you appreciate, you know, worship no one but Allah and commit no shirk. Seems like the same thing. If you say, don't worship anyone other than Allah, isn't that the same thing as saying, we're not going to do any shirk? There seems some, some sort of a redundancy between these two phrases. But actually, one is a result of the other. It is, if you understand the comprehensive definition of slavery, not worship. We are absolutely going to accept Allah's mastery over us, which is why we are not going to allow anyone to have anywhere near that level of authority as Allah does. We will never put anyone in that place. لا نشرك به شيئاً it's not just about worship. It's about placing someone in a position of authority. In other words, the last words of the previous ayat, وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ What were the attributes of Allah after He says, مَا مِنْ إِلَهٍ إِلَّا اللَّهِ After that, لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ What is the, the fruit of it? His izzah, his, his hukum. 
And now we're actually furthering that, that notion. And we're furthering that notion by appreciating we're never going to put in a position of authority anyone other than Allah. No one will be able to nullify his authority. What he has made permissible will remain permissible. What he made haram will remain haram. Nobody can come and change it. We will accept that ultimate finality of his word. That, is, that should be common term between you and me. You call it the word of God, then take it as the word of God. Then you'll appreciate the third, like it's getting more and more specific, the ayah. It goes from the general, we will worship none other, no one but Allah. We will enslave ourselves to no one other than Allah. We will not put anyone in his place. And by the way, one thing I skipped here is, it's, it, Allah doesn't say, وَلَا نُشْرِكَ بِهِ أَحَدًا He says, وَلَا نُشْرِكَ بِهِ شَيْئًا Huge difference. We will not put anyone as a partner to Allah, which means Jesus, or a God, or another God, or a daughter of God, or whatever else, multiple gods. Those are individuals. But the word shay' means what? A thing. Forget an individual, not even a thing. Not even the cross, not even the blood of Christ, which is a thing. Not even a piece of something. And then this has more timeless implications. Today, in this day and age, God has been replaced with the universe. If you, if you look at documentaries of scientists that are in awe of the universe, they talk about it like they're talking about God. It's so humbling. I am just so marveled at its majesty. And they talk about the universe, the physical universe, the way they're talking about Allah Himself. And its laws, and its governance, and its, you know, I'm just baffled. And they're, they're literally, it sounds like worship, like they're doing hamd. Of a samawat wal ard. That's what they're doing. It, it sounds like that. And that is actually literally shay'an. In our times, it is ideas. It's material and, and that's in the philosophical sense for scientists. But for practically for people, you know what's happened? You know what's replaced Allah? Idols haven't replaced Allah. False gods haven't replaced Allah. Jesus hasn't replaced Allah. You know, for most people, regardless of their religion, even Muslims, you know what's replaced Allah? Nope, not even science. Stuff. Money, tech, games, movies, entertainment, house, car, social media, stuff. Stuff is what we worship. Stuff is what we want more than anything else. Stuff is what we want, will give us contentment. Stuff is that we want to submit ourselves to. You submit the way you look, the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you spend your time, the way you're going to spend your money, what you're going to invest yourself in. What you, it's all about material things. Shay, ashya. He literally says, we will not associate anything. We won't put anything where Allah is supposed to be. But this obviously was to Christians first. What does this have to do with Christians? Even though I'm saying there's a universality here. But I want you to understand, how did I make that jump from Christianity to this universality? What happened with the Christian faith? First they put Jesus as the ultimate Lord and Savior. And when they put Him as ultimate Lord and Savior then that resulted in all kinds of corruption in the Christian, Christian world. And the Christianity itself became a source of great oppression in the Christian world, in the West. And then Europe eventually rebelled against that same Christianity. And they came up with a material narrative of Christianity that was against the anti-material narrative of Catholic Christianity, the Protestant movement. And then from it now, in its mutations that are found in the United States, you know what you get? You get a preacher saying, God wants you to get that promotion. And He wants you to get that second job. And when I made my first million preaching in this church, I said, praise the Lord, I must be doing something right. 
because I know you like that impression. Because <laughs> you know what happened. Now God wants you to worship more and more material. Literally more material. I listen to these guys. I listen to them very carefully. Because they help me understand Quran. When I say, you know, the, the, the pursuit of material, like you would pursue the pleasure of Allah, I have never found anyone preach that better than today's evangelical ministry. Like just the pursuit of the material. I, w- I went to a, a, a big a Christmas event just to see what they do. just wanted to attend a little bit. And man, was I, I was amazed. Besides all the singing and dancing and all that, you know, the lady gets up there, the preacher's got his, his wife doing a part of it, and they sing, sing along, and then he's doing a part of it, then his mama comes, and his dad comes, and there's like a whole family thing going on. And she says, yeah, I had, I had, the doctors gave me six months to live, and I had cancer. And then I said, Jesus, I'm going to need 20 years. And you're going to give me those 20 years, because I believe in you. And it's been 25 years since I asked. So I'm doing good. This is your year. <laughs> and, and like they're making these promises on behalf of Allah not of the akhirah there's no con- concept of akhirah there's no concept of tawbah or repent or make yourself a better person there was no concept of justice there was no concept of self-evaluation there was no concept of submission to Allah all it was was if you believe in him then you're going to get all kinds of what? stuff that's all it was people sitting all around me you're going to get that promotion this year. And the people are like, yes I am, Jesus. Yes I am, you're going to give it to me. Yes you are. And I'm like, what's going to happen to this guy when he doesn't get his promotion? Then Jesus will be gone. And along with him, God will be gone. And the only thing left will be what? The material. So the, the religion that was there, originally taught by, by Allah, when shirk was introduced to it with a person, eventually that shirk between, became of people, of things. It was a logical progression, a deterioration that we're seeing manifest today. So he says, Shay'an, by the way, even in the Catholic side of things, the people that were at the highest levels running in, in, in the authority of the church. You know the kinds of scandals that happen inside the Catholic Church? You know the kinds of money hoarding and power plays that happen inside the Catholic Church? Isn't that shay'an? What are they actually worshipping? Stuff. Stuff. So, so he says, وَلَا نُشْرِكَ بِهِ شَيْئًا And then he says, وَلَا يَتَّخِذَ بَعْضُنَا بَعْضًا أَرْبَابًا مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ And we will not take each other as gods, as Rabb, as ultimate authorities, as caretakers, as providers, as opposed to Allah. We will not put each other in a position of godhood. We will not take saints and pray to them. That's on the worship side of things. And you know, Adi ibn Hatim, who used to be Christian, came to the Prophet ﷺ one time, and he told him, uh, We didn't take them as gods. Ya Rasulullah, I'm Christian. He knew Christianity, he knew it well. He said, I, I know our faith and I know the Jews. We never took these uh, people as gods. Because in Surah At-Tawbah, Allah goes even further. He said, They took their, their scholars and they took their preachers and their ministers and their, their, their monks and their saints. They took them as gods besides Allah, as rububh, arbab besides Allah, masters besides Allah. He said, we never did that. We never worshipped them. What is this talking about? And he asked, didn't they, t- didn't they 
make halal for you what was haram? And didn't they make haram for you what was halal? Didn't they decide that? And he said, yes. He goes, tilka ibadatuhu. This is their worship. In other words, worship was not about, I pray to you, I bow to you, you are my God. Worship was about accepting their final authority. Isn't it? Ibadah to the Prophet ﷺ in this narrative is not about worship. It's actually about accepting their final authority. So when we're not going to place people among ourselves as final authorities as opposed to Allah, we will, we will come to this common ground. And by the way, when we come to this common ground, we're saying, you Christians shouldn't do that, and what we're saying also about ourselves. We will not do that. We will not take someone who we think is saintly and holy and closer to Allah than everybody else, and we're going to put them in a position where they decide what's halal and what's haram above the word of Allah. We're not going to give them that authority, that divine authority. Did that happen and does that happen in the Muslim world? Are there people that presume the position of holiness and people come and throw their heads at their feet and kiss their feet and kiss their hands and say whatever they say is exactly what I have to do because this is what Allah wants. Like their word is equivalent to Allah's word. Even if you go to people like that and say this is what Allah said and this is what your saint is saying, they're conflicting, guess who they're going to follow? The saint, and then beat you up. Because you don't go against him. He knows better than you. He has the authority to override what? Allah says. Allah says it's clear. What Allah says is clear. No, no, no. You must have misunderstood it because what it really means is what my saint tells me. What my spiritual guide tells me. That's what it actually means. What you say is, it can't mean what it means. In other words, we made an oath to them. We made a pledge to them. We're not going to fall into that, just like you shouldn't fall into that. Allah saw in His wisdom that He didn't just say, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. He actually said, come to common terms, we won't do that. What does na mean? We, not ba'dukum. No, no, no. Us, we will have that problem. We will avoid that problem also. We won't let ourselves deteriorate. This was Allah's foreknowledge that when, we, when the ummah becomes further and further from revelation itself, then al-qasasul haqq, the truth, the true narrative of how we're supposed to follow the faith, will lead some down very dark roads. May Allah protect us and our families and our futures. You know, nothing is secure. No, there's no guarantee that three generations from now, my kids won't have, my great-grandkids won't have that problem. There's no guarantee. The only guarantee is we leave our next generation more connected to the word of Allah than we are. That's the only guarantee, the only hope we can have, is to connect them to Allah's words. Allah's words will protect where nothing else can protect. Allah's words, you know, multahad, Quran called, You will not find a refuge other than this book. This is, this is a refuge. And we have to commit ourselves to this refuge. This is why it's study, it's review, it's education. It's so critical. It's like the thing to do is to remind ourselves and to remind our families and to reinforce in our families an education of this book. What is this book actually saying? This is the only way we can secure our futures. Otherwise, how are we going to be any different from the people that came before us? The only, the, what they did was they distanced themselves from their book, put other things in its place. And if we've done that all this time, let's undo that now. It's time to undo that at least. If we can't do it in the world, at least start with our own families. 
And what does he say in the end? And as, I, as I close with this, فَإِنْتَوَلَّوْ And if all of you turn away, now Allah is talking. And it again means two things. If all of you turn away or if they turn away. Now if you say if they turn away, it's referring to the Christians and the Jews. If you say if all of you turn away, it's like Allah is talking to them, the Christians and the Jews and to us. And He's saying to all of us, and if all any of you turn away, and then declare, at least the ones who are not going to turn away, declare, testify that we are Muslim. Testify that we are Muslim. So if they turn away, at least you people who truly believe, testify, openly declare that we are nothing but Muslim. We have submitted ourselves. Now lastly, understand the term Muslim. Before the passage on Isa alayhi salam, it was in Dina and Allah Islam. In the Dina and Allah Islam from before. Then he said, The only religion acceptable with Allah is absolute submission. Then he said, Whoever pursues other than submission as a way, it won't be taken from them. What was the problem that the criticism of Allah of the, these ministers? The problem was you don't think of Islam as we accept Islam as in Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu. There's a problem before then. The, your problem is right now you're not willing to submit to Allah's authority. Islam first of all means what? Submission. At least you testify, if they turn their backs, at least you testify that you submit to Allah's authority. That you don't have a problem with it, you give in. When Allah says, you give in. You don't put anyone in between. The, the gist of what I've shared with you so far is actually the declaration of Allah's authority and the common word. This, this, is, this was always taught. This is not new. This was in the previous scriptures. This is in the scripture now. The commonality between us and them. There's one more commonality and I'll close with that. The commonality is, obviously we disagree about the role of Isa. We disagree about the role of Isa. We pretty strongly also disagree about the role of Musa salam. Okay? But if you go further back, there's one figure we all agree on. If you look at the ayah where this began in this surah, you saw, إِنَّ اللَّهَ اصْطَفَى آدَمَ وَنُوحًا وَعَلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمُ وَعَلَىٰ عِمْرَانُ الْعَالَمِينَ Now we... If you go, the closest is Ali Imran, which is the family of Musa and then eventually the family of Isa. Okay, we have disagreements here. Okay, the way they see Musa, the way we see Musa. The way they see Isa, the way we see Isa. And all the prophets in between. Fine, we have disagreement. If you go further back, what's the, what's the figure mentioned before then? Ibrahim Isa. And then further back is Nuh and further back is Adam. But the, the common ground, the closest common ground, you don't have to go as far back as Nuh and Adam. The closest common ground is what? Ibrahim salam. So what are you going to find next? Speaking of common ground, let's talk about Ibrahim. Speaking of common ground, let's talk about Ibrahim because the Jews believed, and then by extension they passed this on to the Christians, that Abraham's lineage is the one that gets prophets. Of course, we agree. And that lineage, you're only considering one side of that lineage, which is Ishaq. The other side of that lineage is Ismail. So even if you disagree about the lineage, at least we agree on the father. So let's talk about that father. Let's talk about Ibrahim himself. Let's go back to common ground. This is exactly what Allah did with the Jews in Surah Al-Baqarah. And that's exactly what He's doing again with the Christians in Surah Al-Imran. And from it we're learning that when we speak to our, our brethren in faith, Christians or Jews, that the, the Quranic spirit is actually reminding us to speak to them about the common ground prophets. And to correct the narrative of those prophets. And no prophet is more important in that discussion than who? 
Ibrahim Ibrahim takes central place in our conversation with the people of the book especially those qualified in the book you start your conversation with Ibrahim because actually this is what we have in common with them they follow the religion of Ibrahim we follow the religion of Ibrahim Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh